Welcome to Find Your Still Point, a podcast for busy people looking to feel calm in the midst of the chaos of life. I'm your host, Jessica King. I'm a therapist, yoga teacher, wife, mother, business owner, and entrepreneur. I know busy, and I know what it feels like to let busy rule your life. I've spent my career learning ways to cultivate presence and contentment. And you know what? I'm still working on it. I want to share the humanness of this practice and encourage you to embrace all the perfectly imperfect parts just as they show up. In this podcast, I will talk about the challenges we all face while trying to find presence, teach practical skills to reduce stress, and I hope I just keep it real with you guys because life is hard. But as they say, we can do hard things. I infuse modern evidence-based psychotherapy with yoga philosophy and a little touch of neuroscience nerdiness into my style of teaching because I believe when we know more, we do better. I'm here to give you glimpses into my own journey in hopes that somewhere in the mess of it all, you find inspiration to get present with the life that you're living and find your own still point. So let's get started. Hello all, I am sitting outside recording this on a beautiful spring day. My happy place is outside. When I'm outside, I feel more present with life in general and less consumed by my thoughts. I don't know if anyone else can relate to that, but I think it's the sensory experience for me. I'm able to focus on sounds, smells, textures and movements and nature in the present moment and not fall into the trap of my monkey mind. In yoga, thoughts are often referred to as the monkey mind. You know how a monkey swings from tree limb to tree limb, seemingly on a mission to get somewhere, but can change course at any moment and go in any different direction. And each limb seems to connect to a new one and they just keep going on and on. Our thoughts can be like that, right? They start in one place and take a thousand different directions until we finally wake up to the path that that they've taken us on and we realize it's nowhere close to where we wanted our thoughts to be. As a mindfulness-based therapist, I often refer to this and teach about present moment awareness because it helps us to manage stress. A lot of our distress as humans is created in past and future thinking. You probably know the kind, right? Ruminating in the past. I can't believe I said that thing. Do you think anyone saw me trip on the way out? You know, really reliving an argument or a disagreement you had with someone. All of that's past thinking. Or distress lays in future worry. What if this happens? Will I be good enough? You know, envisioning the worst outcome or the worst possible result. The thing is, our body does not know the difference between actual stress happening and us thinking about the stressful thing. As we ruminate over the past distress, our body repeats that. And as we worry about future outcomes, our body prepares to keep itself safe and goes into its natural stress response. Unfortunately, 
when we're thinking about past and future things, neither is really happening, but we're still experiencing the effects of it in our body. In the present moment, typically, unless we really are experiencing stress and need to be reacting with our stress response system, typically there's nothing imminent that's distressing if we, if we check in with the present moment. And if there's a small stressor in that present moment, we typically can cope with it if we recognize it. So just let me tell you a little fictitious, you know, hypothetical situation um, to be able to explain this. And you know, it's hypothetical because I can assure you, I would never do this, right? (laughs) You can sense my sarcasm because this happens to everyone and I am totally a victim of this or maybe not a victim. I'm totally capable and do this and I have to work on this myself. But here's a great example of how this works out, past and future thinking. Um, I'm, I'm going to think back before COVID times when my husband actually did go to work and where we actually had meetings outside of the house that were on Zoom. So um, I can think about this when my children were little and I would be home um, with the kids after school and my husband would would need to be at work until five, but maybe we pre-talked about this. He's supposed to be home around 5.15 so that I could leave and go to my meeting. You know, so I've worked towards this. I've pre-prepared dinner. I've gotten myself ready. And now I'm just kind of ready to get to my meeting on time, maybe anxiously awaiting it or whatever. I'm expecting that he's going to be home. Well, now it's 5.16, you know, and I haven't heard from my dear husband and I think, okay, he'll be here in a few minutes. And then it's 525. Hmm. This is getting late and there's no phone call. Maybe he got caught, you know, talking to somebody in the hallway or on a work call. I'll wait a little bit more. Now it's like 535 and I have to be at my meeting soon. And the thoughts start to happen. I cannot believe he's not here. Does he not think what I have to do is as important as what he has to do? I can't believe he hasn't even called yet. Well, when he gets home, I'm going to say this. And then I bet he'll say this. And then I'll respond with this. And it goes on and on. And, you know, now I've had this completely made up fight with my husband in my head. And he wasn't even present for it. But my body was. And now I am all worked up. You know, my emotions are flooding with not feeling heard or cared for, maybe ignored. And I'm maybe feeling frustrated because I'm going to be late for my meeting, angry because of these, um, what I think he's, you know, done to ignore me. And you probably know what will happen, right? And, you know, I bet you all do. I bet you've all been in this situation. And like when he comes home, it's not going to be great for our relationship, right? (laughs) I could probably tell you another story, you know, lots of other stories about how this happens. And sometime maybe I'll tell you about a story about like what happens when I find dirty socks on the floor too. <laughs> but the ending's always the same. It's created this future thinking, this thing that hasn't happened. And now our body is experiencing all those things. And, and when we have those feelings show up, then our behaviors are going to follow based on those feelings. But our thoughts have, have taken us to a place that may not be really accurate for us in the moment. 
You know, future thinking is made up fictitious stories. It's a new narrative. And past thinking is just dwelling on something that has already occurred. And neither can be changed or constructed to fit what we think it should be. The present is the only place in which we actually have the ability to make change and to be congruent with what's really happening, what we want. So if we know this is a human condition, it's part of our human nature and we all do it, what do we do with this information to keep us from stressing out and ruin our, ruining our relationships? The biggest help for this is to practice being the observer of your thoughts. And what do I mean by this exactly? When we're an observer, we are not directly involved in the event. We have no attachment to the outcome. And we can notice the specifics without becoming emotionally overwhelmed or feel the need to act out on what's happening or what we think is happening. So there are several strategies, including, you know, filing away your thoughts as you notice them into different categories or imagining your thoughts as if they're clouds floating by. Um, there's probably several other strategies and you may have some of your own, but whatever strategy you practice to be able to become the observer of your thoughts, I think this includes, they all include some basic assumptions. So here, here are just my thoughts on what those assumptions are. The first assumption is that our thoughts are neither good nor bad. They're just thoughts. The minute we start judging and evaluating our thoughts based on the goodness of our thoughts or the goodness of who we are, then we are on that monkey mind train because now we're judging ourselves for the thoughts that we're thinking and the thoughts that come up and now we're down the road, right? Second assumption, our thoughts are not always true. <laughs> it's tr the truth, guys. Our thoughts are really not always true. In psychotherapy, we call these cognitive distortions. Human beings, we all do it. We mind read. We try to assume we know what someone else is thinking. Maybe we start to see just all the negatives and we're not able to parse out anything that, that could be happening that's outside of that. There's all different kinds of ways that our, that our thinking gets dis distorted. And then it creates the narrative. It creates the story in our head that is really inaccurate and that's causing the distress, but it's there nonetheless. Third assumption, even if our thoughts are true, because they are sometimes, they're not always helpful and we don't have to follow them. So our thoughts may be the truth. They may actually be what's accurate in the situation, but if they're not helpful, just because we have that insight or that awareness does not mean that we have to take action on them because they're not helpful. It's not going to be helpful for us. We have the choice. Fourth assumption, attachment creates distress, while detachment creates freedom. When we start to recognize our thoughts like the observer of a show, we can step back and away from the storyline. We don't have to internalize. We don't have to place value or meaning on the thought. We can just watch it play out without adding on to it. That's freedom, right? And finally, once a thought is observed, remaining present 
through grounding or noticing your surroundings supports ongoing observation of your thoughts. So once we start to notice our thinking, if you catch yourself getting in that storyline, you have the ability through the body, through our senses, through this thing that is all this container that's always with us, with the ability to become the observer by stepping back into our container and watching the thoughts because they're just part of that internal space of the container. Mm, so there are some of my thoughts on being the observer. It may be helpful as you start to practice this to come up with your own image or idea of who your observer is, like a persona, you know? And whenever you're in your observer mind, what do you notice about how you feel and what you're doing? Imaging, like creating these images in our mind can help us to embody this concept of observing. We start to feel what it's like in our body and we can more naturally access it. So for a moment, just take a step back from listening to the podcast. You'll still hear my words, but kind of take a step back and look around your space. Find something that's interesting to you. Notice its colors, its shape, its texture, maybe the other surfaces around the thing that you're looking at. Do this until you start to feel a down-regulating shift. It might be a spontaneous deep breath, might be a yawn, a sense of sinking or deepening, whatever it is. Just just notice your surroundings until you feel a little shift. And once you shift, notice how the body feels. And as you notice, remember this is your observer mind. The sensations you feel right now are you being an observer. And you can have those same sensations in your body observing your thoughts. So it's a practice. It's not going to happen easily. And even once you embody it, once you are able to kind of conceptualize and do this, you're still going to come back to that monkey mind. You're still going to have the judgments and create the storylines. And so that's why we call it a practice, right? Meditation is a practice that helps us cultivate the observer mind and being the observer. So with this sense of observation and what we've talked about today, let's practice together. We're going to practice a meditation and observing our thoughts. So I'll take a pause while we all find a quiet space to practice together. As you begin to find a comfortable seat, start to notice your place in the space and start to cultivate the observer's mind. Sitting back in your seat, you may feel the edges of your body press into the surface below you or behind you. may feel your feet on the floor or your legs folded underneath you. As you notice the space around you, 
Allow yourself to drop back into that observing mind and just notice colors, textures, light, anything that you're curious about or is interesting to you. As you're able, you may let the eyes start to fix on one still point or even let the vision get blurry down the bridge of the nose. And for some, it may feel really comfortable to let the eyes close all the way. Moving to an internal space, maybe you notice the breath moving in and out. Not noticing in an effort to control or change or judge, just to notice. To allow yourself once more to just be the observer of the natural rhythm of your breath and how it moves through your body. As you're able, turn your attention to your mental body. So start to notice the thoughts. Maybe as you observe the thoughts, you can notice the quality of them. Are they moving fast or slow? Do they feel stuck on any particular thing? Or are they rapidly moving from one place to the next? Again, not in an effort to change or judge, just to observe. Maybe you follow your thoughts. And as you do, you allow them to just move through you or move on. As if they're floating on clouds or in bubbles. Maybe as you notice them, you can label them. And in that labeling, you detach yourself from needing to continue to think on it, needing to do or change it. Your thoughts become distant. And as you watch them, it's more like someone just commenting like, oh, there's another thought. Isn't that interesting? And if you do find yourself creating a story or narrative, just notice that too. And in your noticing, decide to begin again coming back to your observing mind, feeling the qualities of observation and detachment in your body. Continuing to practice this observation of thought for as long as you'd like or need. 
because you have all the time in the world. And this is your time to practice. But knowing you don't have to hold on to it or grasp it, that you can return to it anytime you need for as long as you need. As you do feel ready, maybe you start to again notice yourself in the space, the surfaces underneath you. Maybe you let the eyes start to float open, bringing in the light and noticing your surroundings once again. Connected and ready to move through the world with the sense of an observer. Detached from outcomes or need to change. Just having that ability to flow and not react. As you take these practices with you, maybe you notice a shift in the way you feel in your being and notice that too. want to practice the art of being the observer of your thoughts, consider a group class. Group meditation not only gives you guidance and teaching on your path, it creates an energy that is different from meditating alone. The energy of the group can support you along your journey. There's accountability for showing up each time. And a class can help when you're trying to get to just start a new habit. So if meditation is something that you wanted to try, click the link in our show notes to fill out an interest and waitlist form. I'll be starting a new meditation class that will be offered both in person and virtually. So if you're in Wilmington, North Carolina, and you would like to practice in the office, you can sign up. And if you're somewhere else, anywhere else in the world, you can also join us virtually. Uh, I look forward to practicing with you soon. Uh, Fill out that form. Let us know your best days and times. And as the class forms, I'll be in touch with everyone. But until then, be well, my friends.